Good morning. Hey, welcome to chapel. Welcome to uh, shorts weather and uh, being outside again. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I spent two hours at the park last night uh, and just uh, had too much fun. Hey, uh, a bunch of things happening in the next couple weeks. Look out for them. This week, Geneva College Theater hosts Treasure Island Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this week, so make sure you check that out. Uh, this Saturday night in, um, in the Fieldhouse, we're hosting something called Nerf Arena, so if you like Nerf guns and you like capture the flag and you like uh, running around hiding behind bunkers, that's going to happen this Saturday night, 8 p.m. You'll need to sign up for that on Operu. Uh, wait or check out an email from me tomorrow with that. This week is also uh, Justice Week, and um, here's what Justice Week is focused on this year. It's called History in the Making. Uh, if you guys don't know, this past year has been quite an unprecedented year, and we've been thinking about this week, hey, what can we learn from this year? What can we learn from, from how to move and how do we, how do we talk about things like, um, like race in our, this context, like economic inequality in this context? How do we talk about uh, just everything going in, on in the world? So a few things. Tonight uh, there will be, a, uh, excuse me, I need glasses to read now. There'll be a 1% documentary in s &E at 7 p.m. Tomorrow, there's going to be a quarantine reflections exhibit with music and song and, and other things happening in the old main lobby from 6 to 8. And then Friday at 6.30 in John White Chapel, we're going to be bringing in three local businesses to talk about how they've been impacted uh, during this past year. So 6.30 Friday night, Biffcat will be here. Um, Stray Cat Studios and Fashion Revival downtown are going to talk about, hey, what has this year done to the small business community here in uh, Beaver Falls? So check that out. Saturday, we're ending Justice Week with a conference that we hold every year called Convergence, where we look at uh, race issues from a Christian perspective. Um, this year, we're bringing in a guy named Herb Bailey. If you know Herb, Herb uh, runs a ministry in Aliquippa called Uncommon Grounds uh, and is just a gift to Beaver County. He's going to talk about the history of racism in the church and, and, and what can we do to redeem that. And so Saturday, Convergence will be from 10 a.m. to noon in um in john white chapel we'd love to have you join um the space is limited so sign up if we have space at the door you can just you can just show up as well but that is saturday morning uh, and finally, hey, I want to invite y'all, you guys know I'm the director of what's called the Center for Student Engagement. The Center for Student Engagement really runs with uh, great student leaders who are passionate about G Geneva College and really want to serve and see other people love their experience. Um, we are hiring our student leaders for next year. Applications are due on Monday. So, so if you're like, hey, I'd really love to figure out how to invest well next year, we'd love to have you come alongside us. If you want to be an LNT mentor, if you want to uh, run student events and student activities, if you want to do adventure programming, if you want to get students involved in the community, if you want to talk about diversity and social justice issues, we want you. So um, apply this week. Applications are due Monday. Awesome. There's a lot happening. Dive in well, invest well. Uh, we've got about eight weeks left in the semester, and let's enjoy those. Uh, let's come alongside and really encourage one another. All right, as we begin chapel, let's get our hearts attuned to the Lord.
Good morning. Titus, is this the Bible you're going to use? Can I put it down here? Okay. Nice to see you all. Our theme this morning that we consider is that Christ is our King. What an amazing thought that one day, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow the knee to this man named the Lord Jesus Christ. The older I get, the more profound that becomes. Uh, So our psalms this morning, of course, are kingship psalms. We don't read the beginning of Psalm 24, but uh, it begins by establishing God as creator, not just creator, but ruler over all things and owner of all things within his creation. And then it turns its focus to us. It asks, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And to me, this is kind of bad news because who may ascend in the hill of the Lord? Those who have perfectly clean hands, perfectly pure heart, completely honest speech, and those who make seeking the Lord their absolute number one highest priority. Friends, if you're at all in touch with what a sinner you are, none of us ought to be insiders of this kingdom. If you read Psalm 24 with any honesty, you ought to be an outsider to this kingdom. I ought to be an outsider to this kingdom. And yet, the conclusion to this psalm that we read, it is the best news possible that this particular king is coming. He is the king of all glory, and he is a king who saves. This is not just the good news, but the best news, but the only solution to our problem. Christ our king. Let's stand and read the conclusion of Psalm 24 together. Let's read together. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Amen. You may be seated. It's not just an abstract idea of a king. It's a king who actually comes, has come, and is coming. It was currently reigning. And he extends his glory to those who ought not to be inside the kingdom. So we're going to hear again from Psalm 72, because this is Solomon's psalm of the covenantal king. Uh, We find all throughout scripture that Christ's role as king, his kingship is actually inextricable from his role as judge and from his role as savior. And as scripture lays it out, this is the reason why his glory actually fills the earth. So let's experience Psalm 72e together. He will save the needy when they call, save the poor and those who have no help. He has pity on the poor and weak, and he saves the lives of those in need. From oppression, from everyone, he redeems their life and buys them back. And how precious, precious is their life, Lord, how their life is precious in his sight. May he live and go from Sheba's realm, then be given as a gift to him. May the people always pray for him, may they bless his name throughout the day. In a 
Would you join me and pray as, as we pray together? And as we join our hearts, uh, let's begin by saying the Apostles' Creed together. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for today, for the sunshine and the warm temperature. Thank you for the evidence of new life as flowers begin to poke through the soil, reminding us of the new life that we have in you. Father, you are the maker of all of it, creator. You are all powerful and almighty. You are the provider and our healer. Yet in all of your greatness and splendor and glory, you allow us to come to you. Your word tells us we can come. We can come humbly before you, but we can come boldly. So, Father, we lay before you today the cares and the concerns that are on our hearts. Because you know everything about us, nothing's hidden from you, but we still lay our burdens before you. Things that cause us to fear, things that create feelings of anxiety and worry. Father, we're thankful that we have come this far through the academic year. Yet many of us are tired, we're weak, we're weary. Father, we ask for your strength as we persist through to the end of the semester. For those who are struggling with illness, Father, we lift them up to you. We lift them up this morning and ask that you would heal their bodies completely. Lord, thank you for your word and for the privilege of being able to gather together like this to learn and to hear your word. We pray that you would open our minds and soften our hearts to the things that Titus will bring to us this morning through your word, the things that you've laid on his heart to deliver. Remove the things that distract us and the things that clutter our minds and allow us to prevent us from hearing your message as you would want us to hear it. 
Father, hear our prayer as we lift it up to you and as you have taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 18. And it reads, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations rage, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Geneva. Good to be with you again. We've been thinking about who God is. It's important for us to think about the character of God, the role that God plays. Um, and uh, today we're thinking about God as king. God is king. And uh, I'm going to read Psalm 2 as it's printed there in your bulletin. Everything uh, that we've been reflecting on here uh, speaks to the kingship of our God and kingship of our Lord and uh, so does this psalm. This psalm is quoted many times in the New Testament, speaking of the reign of our Lord Jesus. So uh, listen to uh, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's the word of God. May he open our eyes to see the glory of his reign. Queen Elizabeth has been queen 
there in Great Britain for nearly 70 years, which is staggering. She was coronated in 1953. Uh, that means that none of us were alive for her coronation, or at least remember her coronation. Um, and so uh, because of that, you might not realize that every coronation of a British monarch uh, that's taken place over the last thousand years has taken place at Westminster Abbey, which is a church. It's not at a Capitol building or at Buckingham Palace or anywhere else, but it happens at a church. Uh, we should, in our modern day, we should ask the question, why does something like that take place in a church? Well, we find the answer right there inside of Westminster Abbey. Uh, before the coronation, the crown, which I think you have pictured there on, on the front of the bulletin, you have, you have the crown and the scepter. They're all placed there right on the table that's in front of the, it's at the front of the cathedral. It's the place of great honor. And that table has inscribed a verse from Revelation eleven fifteen, And it says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, I recognize that there's just a lot of ceremony that takes place in the coronation day. And one writer acknowledged that the symbolism is nearly forgotten in our day, but the reason why a monarch is crowned in the church is because it was a public acknowledgement that Jesus is the king of kings, and he is the one from whom every human king receives their crown. And so as pre prestigious and as powerful as the British monarch at one time was, in reality, they're simply servants and subjects of King Jesus. Jesus is king. After Jesus died, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, into the heavenly Jerusalem, and he was there seated on the throne and coronated as the king of the entire world. King not only of individuals, not only king in our hearts, not only if we acknowledge him as king, he's not just king over the church or in some limited realm, but he's in fact the king who rules the nations because the kingdom of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord. He will reign forever and ever. This simple reality ought to be a source of great strength and encouragement for us as we live in a world that so often seems out of control. When the wicked seem to have their way, when murder and crime increase, when global powers crash, when political tensions continue to rise, when our country slides farther and farther away from God, when the godless reside in positions of power, are elected or are appointed, uh, whether that's positions in our government or positions over us in our schools or in our jobs, when the future seems so uncertain, it's easy for us to want to run away in fear. But don't flee. In Psalm 11, we're reminded that the Lord is on his throne. And since the Lord is on his throne, all will be well. The Lord is king. King David was the second king of Israel after King Saul. 
God rejected King Saul and had David anointed as the future king, the second king, the heir of the throne. God made a covenant with David, promising that one of his descendants would actually sit on the throne forever. And uh, that's a very huge promise. And for generations, um, one of David's descendants sat on the throne there in Israel. But merely 400 years after this promise to David, Israel was actually exiled from their land and the king of Israel was dethroned. And so David no longer had a descendant sitting on the throne. And today, uh, the nation of Israel is ruled by a prime minister, not by a king. Um, there's, um, and, and so you, you try to wrestle with this promise, one of your descendants would sit on the throne forever. Uh, you have to ask, what, in what way is that true? Or, or has that promise failed? Well, the promise did not mean that one of David's descendants would merely rule over the nation of Israel, but the promise was, in fact, that one of David's, David's descendants would forever rule over the whole world. Uh, David's descendant would actually rule the universe, including all the nations of the earth. It was a promise that was speaking of the future reign of Jesus Christ, not merely over Israel, but over the entire world. He'll reign forever and ever. And the Psalms in particular speak so clearly of his reign. It was hard to choose which ones would be read today uh, because so many talk about the reign of Jesus Christ. Uh, I just read Psalm 2. It says, the nations of the world, they rage against the Lord. They rage against God. They say, let's uh, throw off his authority. Let's join ourselves together and let's revolt against him. Throw him off his throne. Let's reign ourselves. But it says that God in heaven laughs. Really? You, you think you can dethrone me. You have the authority to overpower me. It's like a, an 18-month-old challenging LeBron James to give him basketball. Like, is, are you serious? Do you really want to do this? But of course, this isn't some cute little kid trying to bounce a ball, but this is the foolishness of grown men and women, nations, kings, raging against God, against the anointed Jesus Christ. He says in verse six, know this, O nations of the earth, I have set my king in Zion, my holy hill. And then verse 10, it says, now hear this, O kings, O rulers of the earth, kiss the son, submit to him, bow to him, or he will crush you. This psalm is quoted six times in the New Testament, showing that it speaks of Jesus becoming king. And it's clear that all the nations, all the kings of the earth, the governments, the presidents, they are actually called to bow before him, to acknowledge that they've received their position from him and that they are there in service of the king. They are to bow before the king of kings. There are so many people, so many Christians uh, who misunderstand the, the concept of the separation between church and state, and it's an easy thing to have confused. Many believe that that means that governments must be non-religious, and we've used the term secular. We need to be secular. And even many Christian theologians push for a secular government to be uh, devoid of all religion. The problem is that there's no such thing. Secularism is a myth that we've convinced ourselves of because once you take God out of the equation, another God automatically fills the void. And so in our country... Instead of recognizing our Lord God as the king, the creator, the ruler over us, 
um, we mentioned that we the people are the ones in final authority. We the people are the ones who create a more perfect union, and we the people are the ones who decide what's ultimately right or wrong. And of course, with that understanding, we have seen throughout history, the history of our country, and we see very clearly today when the laws of the land are made by human opinion, then it will inevitably lead us to call evil good and good evil. Separation between church and state doesn't mean that the state is meant to be secular, as if that's possible, but it simply means that the church doesn't get to rule over the civil affairs of the land, and the king or the president doesn't get to rule over the religious affairs of the church. And so what's made clear here in Psalm 2 and in many other Psalms is that both the church and the state, whether it's the president or the king or whoever, they are both under the kingship of Christ, and both are meant to acknowledge his authority in that their authority only comes from him and that they're appointed there to serve him. And they are called to kiss the sun, to bow at his feet. Like I said, there's so many psalms that speak of this. We read from Psalm 24. Um, the psalm speaks of the time after Jesus triumphs over our enemies. He just defeated Satan. He had this great victory. He marches with this victory parade into the heavenly Jerusalem there, and he is enthroned as king. He's the king of glory. Psalm 45 speaks of a king that rules with justice and equity, and oh, how we need that in this land. Psalm 110 says that the Lord, Yahweh, the creator God, said to the Lord, Adonai, the savior God, sit at my right hand to rule in the midst of your enemies. You're going to shatter kings and execute judgments on the nations. Um, this verse is quoted in Acts chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 1, showing that after Jesus rose from the dead, God the Father did seat him on the throne to rule over the nations. Jesus is king over the world. These Psalms and many others and many other passages of the Bible anticipate the coronation of King Jesus. And the calling is clear. Every government, every business, every culture, every institution, every family, every person, every knee is to bow to him because he alone is king. Now, this concept of Jesus being king is somewhat hard for us to comprehend. Um, what does it actually mean that he's king? Does that mean that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit aren't actually kings and, and, and they don't rule over the world? Does, does it mean that Jesus wasn't king before he came to earth and then uh, died on the cross and rose again? So then he was made king. Wasn't he always king? Well, I want to uh, distinguish between what we call the essential reign of God as king and the mediatorial reign of Christ as king. The essential reign and the mediatorial reign. Uh, uh, the essential reign of God is the reality that God in three persons rules over his creation. God reigns as the supreme authority over all created things. But when Jesus died and rose again, he ascended into heaven, he sat on the throne, and now he alone reigns as the great human king, the mediator king, uh, ruling on behalf of the fallen human race. So Jesus reigns as king, as a human king, in a way that the Father and the Spirit don't reign as king. 
Again, that's not, that's still confusing. So I want you to think about it like this. Let's say that you and two siblings uh, started a business together. You and your two siblings developed this business plan. You, you both, all three of you, you poured money into the business to get it off the ground. The, the three of you decided who to hire, and, um, and, and business started off well, and, and, and uh, business was good. The three of you controlled the company, and you ruled over the company as a board. Well, as the board, you hire a CEO to really run the business of the day, and the CEO actually makes decisions, day-to-day decisions, makes sure everything is running smoothly. Everyone reports to him, and he's the one who then reports to the board. Well, one day you discover that your CEO is actually stealing money. He's abusing employees. He's not getting his work done. And he's essentially running the business right into the ground. And so you, as the board of directors, you step in. You fire the CEO. You replace him. Uh, But as you're searching for a replacement, you find that no one else is qualified to serve in that role. And you decide that the only option is for one of you to actually um, become the CEO. But first, you have to prove that you're qualified for this work. As board of directors, you don't often understand uh, all the goings on there at work. And so, in order for uh, the board of directors decides to appoint you as the new CEO, but before you're appointed as that CEO, you have to get to experience the the business. And so, you start at the very bottom. You uh, scrub toilets. You work in every position of the business. You experience it. You, uh, you, you show how it's meant to be done. You prove it, uh, your competency in it. And so as you know the inner workings of the business, you move up the company until finally the board ultimately appoints you as the new CEO. You're already the owner. You and your siblings already run the company. You rule over as the board of directors. Nothing's changed there, but now you're also appointed as the CEO, and your siblings have now given you that authority and the responsibility to run the day-to-day business. Well, in a similar way, the Holy Trinity rules over all creation. And this one God in three persons rules in some ways like a board of directors. This board of directors created the world, and as... uh, they created this world, um, they decided to appoint um, a CEO. And so they created Adam. This one God in three persons created Adam, and he was to lead the human race, ruling over the world and cultivating it, seeing that it would flourish. But before long, the CEO had a huge moral failure. He disobeyed God, the board, and they dethroned him, and through Adam, mankind lost its place as the rulers of this world. Another CEO had to be appointed, and not only rule, but to restore the human race to their rightful place, to reconcile them to this reign over this world. But as history went on, it's clear that finding the right CEO was near impossible. No one could do it. Cain, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, Samuel, Saul, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and on and on and on. 
the world's looking for this new reign, this new king, this new CEO. None of them were qualified, not even the best. And the only solution was for one of the persons of the Godhead to step into the world and to rule as the mediating king. The human king who rules over the world, the earth, and has the power to restore mankind as rulers of this world. So in one sense, Jesus has always reigned, and that's very true. He reigns with the Father and the Spirit. That's his essential kingship, but he also reigns uniquely as the mediatorial king, the CEO, the human king, to whom has been given all authority. And so our God is king over all, and the Lord Jesus is king and reigns. Well, to what extent is this reign of the Lord Jesus? There are lots of misperceptions, misconceptions about this. Some people believe that Jesus only reigns in our hearts, uh, that he's only king if we make him king in our lives. Others believe that Jesus is just king over the church, ruling over believers. But it's hard to ignore what the Bible repeatedly says. It's not up for speculation. It's, It's crystal clear. He's not just king in our hearts or king over the church, but he's king over the world, the universe. All authority, he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is king over everything the great and the small. The great quote of Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. The great theologian A.W. Pink said it this way, to say that he is sovereign is to declare that he is the almighty the possessor of all power in heaven and earth, so that no one can defeat his counsels, thwart his purposes, or resist his will. His sovereignty is absolute, irresistible, and infinite. To put it in its strongest form, we insist that he does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases, and that whatever takes place in time is but the outworking of that which he decreed. Jesus sovereignly reigns, Overall, and his kingdom shall have no end. And what that means is that as you go throughout life, as you care for your body, your heart, your soul, your mind, as you live with your family, as you live with your roommates, as you interact with friends and classmates, as you go about your work and do your studies, as you play, as you're involved in culture and politics and hobbies and arts and uh, athletics, You do so with the recognition that Jesus is king over that field. And so as Christians, we do it all for the glory of God. We serve our king, Jesus. The reign of Jesus should give us such great comfort in life because we live in a world where the future seems so uncertain. And we have to remember that the Lord reigns. When certain people get elected or appointed to positions of power, remember the Lord reigns. When there's war and conflict and tension and unrest, remember the Lord reigns. When the future seems uncertain, when you're not sure what you're going to do in the next 
phase of life, the next year of life, remember, the Lord reigns. I do love that picture that we're given in Psalm 11. I wasn't read this morning, but in Psalm 11, we're, we're given a very dire situation. And humanly speaking, it's hopeless, like the end is, is near. The righteous are surrounded by the wicked. They're about to be killed. And so the righteous are sort of, in some ways, talking together, wondering what they should do. Should they run away? Should they fly into the mountains and flee? The wicked reign, so we better run for our lives. In verse 2, it says this, The wicked bend the bow. They've fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. Um, that speaks of the random acts of violence against the righteous. The wicked are in power. They're doing whatever they please. It appears that they're getting away with it. They're doing all this wickedness, and there seems to be no consequence. And then it says in verse 3 that the foundations are being destroyed. What are the foundations? The foundations are those things that hold up the building. It holds everything together, and without the foundation, everything's going to fall apart. And if the foundations are destroyed, then the building's going to crumble. Uh, if you've driven down the East Coast uh, and you're driving along the ocean, you'll find that houses there, many houses there, are, sit on posts. They're 10, 15 feet above ground, and they're built this way because when the ocean spills over, uh, it, it floods the streets, and, and if the houses were on the ground, they'd, of course, be flooded. So they're, they're built up on these posts. Well, imagine, here's the situation in Psalm 11. Imagine that um, while you're living in one of these houses, your, your house is surrounded by a gang of wicked men, and they have their guns pointed at you. They're firing away at your house. And there's another group of them that has their chainsaws, and they're just going at these posts that your house sits on. And it's a matter of time before your house falls to the ground. They loot your house and kill you. That's Psalm 11. The wicked shoot their arrows in the dark at the upright in heart, cutting down the pillars, laying the foundations bare. That would be scary. Great fear. The end is near. And so the righteous, they were consulting in some ways together. Many of them decided to run. And they were telling the writer of this psalm, flee to the mountains, fly away like a bird. The foundations are destroyed. There's nothing we can do here. This is, this is a hopeless situation. We got to run. But the singer, he almost scoffs at the idea. Like, why would you even ask me to do that? Flee to the mountains. Are you kidding? What's absolutely clear is he's not afraid. And the reason he's not afraid, the reason why he's not running away, the reason why he holds his ground is because he knows his God reigns. And so as they're urging him, you better run, he says, basically, why? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. The Lord is king. We don't have to be afraid. It was this reality that gave him confidence and courage in the most dire situation. It was this reality that kept him from giving up on the world and giving up serving the kingdom. 
the Lord reigns. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to keep working. You know, I'm not under any illusion that our country is Christian and really from the very beginning it ever was. There were some Christian people who were involved, no doubt. But we the people are the gods of this nation. And we're moving faster and faster and faster in the direction of running away from God. And we're more and more calling evil good and good evil. And the crosshairs of the world are being focused more and more on the church. And the day is going to come where there are going to be consequences for us for doing what we're doing right now. And the foundations are shaking, and there are lots of people who are afraid, and lots of people who are looking for places to run. What's a country I could move to where I could, you know, get away from it all? We're afraid. And if someone asks you that question, like, what are you going to do if, you know, this happens? Where are you going to run to? Oh, smile. Say, why? Why would I run? The Lord's in his holy temple. The Lord is on his holy throne. There's lots to give us anxiety in this world. Anxiety over the future of our country. Anxiety of your own future. The anxiety of what you might be doing next year. The anxiety of what might be coming down the pike through legislation or laws. What are those things that keep you awake at night because you're growing anxious? Well, don't be afraid. The Lord reigns. Jesus is still on his throne and no war, no policy, no presidency, no king, no act of injustice, no act of terrorism can change that. Don't run away in fear. But as the church, we hold our ground and we fight for the king and his kingdom. Because we know he reigns. And he will reign forever and ever. Back in 1870, 1871, there was a war that lasted less than a year called the Franco-Prussian War. It was a war that was primarily fought between Germany and France, but um, it included other countries like Great Britain. During the war, some British soldiers were captured by the Germans and held prisoner in a prisoner of war camp. And uh, while in prison... Um, there was one British soldier who wrote letters back home. And uh, those letters, along with many other letters, were published in a magazine called The Christian. And the letters filled with optimism. Here he sits, sort of rotting in a POW camp, but he's not afraid. And he, uh, in one of his letters, he shared a story. He said, A brother of the 3rd Regiment, being in the midst of danger, took his New Testament and read it quietly, with as much calmness as though he were in chapel. Some unbelievers mocked him, but he remained calm, while others crept to places of concealment and covered their heads. He simply prepared his mind. If God is pleased that he should appear before him, that's for God to determine. Because God is on his throne. He wasn't afraid. And after sharing many stories like this, uh, this POW summed it all up at the end of his letter. He said, the Christian alone can possess true calm in the face of death because of his well-founded hope. His well-founded hope. This well-founded hope is rooted in the reality, the simple reality, 
that our crucified and risen Savior reigns as King over all. The Lord is on his throne. You don't have to be afraid. When those times come when you are anxious and fearful, simply remember, Jesus reigns. If the foundations are being destroyed, if they're cutting those down, just remember, Jesus reigns. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We have nothing to fear. Your king reigns. Amen. Join me in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we bow to you as the great King of kings and Lord of lords. And we ask you to help us to live in that reality. Let the fact that you reign and that you reign forever, uh, that it would give us peace and hope in a world that's filled with such chaos and uncertainty and wickedness. And help us to continue uh, the work of your kingdom here on earth, to not flee to the mountains or not to run and hide and not cower in fear, but rather let us simply seek to be faithful, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and let all the other details be taken care of by you. Continue your good rule over this world, over our country, over our lives, and let our community, let our country, let our world bow to you as the great King of kings and Lord of lords. We look forward to that day when every knee will bow, every tongue confess that you are Lord to the glory of God. This is your kingdom. It's built by your power. It's all for your glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All you nations extol him. Extol him.